Welcome everyone to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Megan Cummings-Kruger, and today we're going to be sharing a uniquely personal story of one woman's journey through sudden and tragic change and how her story is yet so relevant to all of us as we continue to navigate the cumulative stress and change over the past few years. Where we are is where she's been, and she shines a light on the journey ahead with her experiences she's had, her perspective. So my guest today is Jody Lavoie, who is a grief and loss expert, widow, mom, and powerhouse widow coach. Through her coaching, she helps widows move from grief to greatness. And Jody is the former CEO of the nonprofit Female Strong and Young Entrepreneurs Academy, Chicago, which the acronym is YAY. Jody was the chairman of AeroStream, a third-party logistics and SAS provider that was founded by her late husband, Steve, in 2000. Jody received her Bachelor's of Arts from the University of Chicago and is the proud mother of three girls and an Italian water dog named Bruno. <laughs> she currently resides in her hometown of LaGrange, Illinois, and is a two-time breast cancer survivor. She is also happily a Mentium mentor. So welcome, Jody. Thank you, Megan. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so have I. So I want to give just a quick recap to our audience. You endured a unique tragedy that profoundly impacted what followed in your life. So in 2014, your husband, Steve, was killed at work by an employee. Steve had been the founder and CEO of the company. And so suddenly you had to step in and take over his responsibilities. You also had three young daughters at home to support through the trauma. So overnight, you had an overwhelming reality really thrust upon you. Now, as you shared, since then, you've walked on unusual personal and professional path, but the learning that came from your experience is really relevant to so many of us, especially with what we've all been dealing with the past few years. And I'll give one example for our listeners. Here at Mentium, in dealing with all the stress that comes with rapid and repeated change, we've seen a real impact, for example, on confidence levels. It's resulted in one example, really significant increase in our mentee's interest around managing imposter syndrome. So as someone who has had to jump into the role of CEO, you had to immediately learn new skills, develop confidence as a leader. So my first question would be, would you share what helped you navigate all of this? Absolutely. Gosh, Megan, you bit off a lot there. So I'll take a little <laughs> chunk of it and we'll work through it. You you mentioned all of a sudden overnight I have I had skills of, I was a stay-at-home mom, and now all of a sudden I'm needing to run this business, and there were skills I didn't have. I'd never run a third-party logistics supply chain technology business before, and so very quickly I realized, let's focus on what I know, and then let's focus on what I don't know, and how can I get other people <laughs> who know all of these other things to help, because there's no way I could become an expert in the industry and in the competition in the finances. There were so many things, Megan, that I wasn't going to become the expert in. So I think, you know, one suggestion very much when people find themselves in a new role and they're overwhelmed is, okay, <laughs> what don't you know and what can you outsource? And how can you find if you can't pay to outsource it, how do you find people that know what it is you're trying to learn? If you need to have some legal things 
you know, that you're trying to figure out who do you know in your network that could possibly help you with that. LinkedIn is a wonderful resource to search people in your network that have certain titles. Um, Joining organizations was another thing that I did uh, and surrounding myself with other business owners who have been through it, have done it. The same is really relevant for all of the other industries that are out there. There are special trade groups for all of your listeners. (laughs) And so finding that space that you will find like people that are having similar problems is so important because I went to this group and it happened to be Young Presidents Organization, YPO. And I had this group of six people and every other month we met and I would say, all right, I've got to sell a business here. How do I do that? Never done that. And I had people that had could coach me and help me and have my back, which was really great. So finding people mentoring through Mentium and having and finding a mentor for yourself is so important. And there's those mentors outside of your organization. And then there's the champions inside your organization. So having one of both is a really good thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that comes to mind about this sudden challenge for you is not just looking at what you know and what you don't know. How did you, where did you find the support for accepting what you didn't know and that you didn't need to know? Because that can really be a challenge for people. You know, it is a challenge. And you know, I, Megan, I didn't spend a lot of time on that because I knew I didn't have the bandwidth for it. So I just, I literally said, I'm not going to become an expert in it. I have to trust the people that I am allowing to be the expert in that space and know wholeheartedly that they've got that. Because if you don't trust the people that you're offloading things on, then that adds a whole other thing in your mindset. And you're not as able to focus on what it is that you're really good at because you're worried about what's going on over here. And so trust is so important. Forgiveness for yourself to know um, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to know all these things. And it's physically impossible to learn all of these things. And that's okay. Because you know what? I know these things. And I know these things better than the people over there know these things. I focused on what I do know and be proud of what I do know. Yeah. And you know, reaching out for help is something that doesn't always first spring to mind for a lot of us. Those relationships, as you say, and building the trust are so important. One thing that really stuck with me when we were talking earlier is you also recognized in your particular instance, all of your employees, all of your colleagues had gone through the same trauma of that event. And with everything you were going through, I thought that the empathy and the understanding of that, I imagine that helped in building those relationships with your colleagues at work. Absolutely. And I think what a lot of people forget about, or frankly, we all never think about, is when tragedies like this happen in the workplace, the first responders are the employees, and they're physically present needing to do medical treatment until somebody comes. And that is scary and certainly an indelible thing in their mind for the rest of their lives. And not only for them, but 
I mean, in this case, Megan, like this was downtown Chicago. They closed down the loop. And so there's all of these other buildings surrounding where other people knew that something awful had happened and they weren't even affected. And people still come up to me today and remember this story because, oh, their office was across the street or their husband's office was right there. And there's just so many connections, but also this bond of what my husband had built was so special and the culture in the organization was so special that everybody rallied together and there was no way they were going to let the ship go down. They were on the phone to clients the next day, Megan, reassuring everybody that, you know, the we're moving full steam ahead. We're all here for support. You know, the company is fully up and functioning and we're here for you. And to have already established a culture like that of care and love. And that was a significant part of who my husband was. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's an amazing culture. And to your point, your husband created it and then you were able to step in and continue it, which is, I imagine, one of the most important things as you were going through all of this. It was. And so there's, there was a connection, obviously, because this was, we have three, three daughters, but this was our fourth child. Yeah. And we talked about it every day. And at that point, it had been in existence as a company for 14 years. And not only had we invested most of our personal finances in the business, but we had friends and family that had invested money in the business. And there were 60 employees who'd invested their lives and careers and their family. And so there was all of this, just so much coming together with that. Yeah. Yeah. It really takes a village yet again. It does. So After stepping into that CEO world and being the ship, as you say, within a couple of years, you were then able to sell the business, which was its own complicating process. But then you were able to have the space to really take a step back and consider what your own personal passion was. And what you realized was you really wanted to help other women. And, um, you know, you also shared with me when we were talking, when you jumped into that CEO role, you were the only woman in a leadership role. So you had a lot to offer with your perspective, your experiences, and in particular, you had a lot to offer to widows who were walking the same path as you were suddenly back in the workforce, dealing with grief of their own. And if they were a parent, their children's grief. So in response, you founded your company, Widows in the Workplace, and you created the program Grief to Greatness. You also got your coaching certificate. So What I'd love to hear more about is what have you found in the work that you do now? What have been some of the most common challenges for your clients as they're dealing with the grief and change? And what have you found most helpful? Yes. So my clients that come to me first are women that are used to having it all together. They're excelling in their careers. They're excelling at home. They feel like they have purpose and drive. And then all of a sudden they're hit with grief and all of that goes upside down and, and they don't really know what to do with it because they remember I was this person. Now I don't feel like that person anymore. 
And what is that? And so they feel like they're just getting by. They know and over are overwhelmed by all these different resources out there. Should I be reading books? Should I join a group? Should I get a coach? Should I have a therapist? It's like, you've got all this coming <laughs> at you and it's, it's just a lot. And, you know, one shouldn't shortchange too, when you've gone through a loss, your perspective changes, you start to realize, wow, life is short. And we need to really take advantage of every moment we have. And so was I really spending my time in the way that I want to, to, to do what I want to do to give back to this world? And so some of my work with widows too is reflecting on that because it, your life does change. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, everyone has their own individual journey, but I imagine there are some common emotions to deal with. Obviously the grief, I imagine, you know, it hits to their confidence. They don't feel uh, like who they were or in control. And so is there a story that comes to mind for you of a path that someone followed that was just gratifying to watch? Yeah, there's so many, but here's, I'll start with one. So first of all, I had a widow client that came to me before her husband had passed away because he had received a terminal diagnosis. And of course, she was remaining hopeful and going through all of the treatments. And But then it got toward the end and she wanted to set she and her daughter up for success. And having her come to me two weeks before her husband had passed away with that, I was in awe <laughs> because wonderful that she knew she needed the support. And then to see where she is now, after loss, where her daughter is, you know, doing and how she's thinking about her career, and kind of her next three to five years in her life, and how she's playing that out. And how she's grown internally, because she was scared. It's scary, right, Megan? Her husband was about to die. And it's overwhelming. Like I got to be able to pay the bills and I want to be a good mom and I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to let something fall apart. And to really see her kind of stand tall and come into her own and be strong and set boundaries for herself, especially at work where she was getting taken advantage of a little bit and caving a little bit to some of that. And that stopped because she realized, wait a minute, uh, -uh. <laughs> those are not, you know, commitments that I'm willing to make because that is affecting me personally, my family, personally, my mental health personally. And so I was so proud of her for drawing those boundaries as well. Cause that's not easy for a lot of people to do even outside of grief. Absolutely. That is such a hard, <laughs> that is such a hard skill and so often can make such a big difference in our life. Right. Right. And it's, you know, as I listen to you, it's really so holistic what you go through. So much of this is having just by force, almost having to pause. And as you say, see what you value, see what's important to you. And, you know, I think in addition to, you know, all that you went through with the loss of your husband is also, then you also survived breast cancer twice. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, but that also brings a lot of perspective as far as what is important to us. And I know it's hard to think about 
who we were before, because it is such a learning curve and it's such a learning experience. But what would you share with our listeners as far as things that became important to you and things that did not? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to start a little bit at the beginning of what you started to say, because there was a lot that I realized about myself, you know, and how much I changed in this process and the woman that I became and the mother that I became for a mother of three daughters, the way my daughters viewed me was so different after I lost my husband. They view their mom as a as a strong, powerful woman. And I would use the bad with an A word <laughs> as well. And frankly, that makes me really proud to have my girls think of their mom that way. And although they were proud of me before, but they would have never said that. And so having your children see you do things that are really outside of your comfort zone (laughs) and stand up to people that you probably, that I wouldn't have before to make new relationships. I didn't have a business network. I didn't even have a LinkedIn, Megan. So (laughs) like I had to establish all of this. Um, And so they're really proud of that and proud as they share that with their friends and their friends are like, wow, that's what your mom's doing. And so that just, it makes me proud as a person, but proud as a mom and proud as a mom who's raising daughters Mm -hmm. today, because that's not easy. It's it's, it's hard to be a kid today. It really is. But there's. I I don't have boys, so I really can't speak to that, but I can speak to how hard it is to having daughters. Well, I really appreciate that. I know when we were talking earlier, one of the things you shared, and I thought it was such a insightful point, which was, you know, you're dealing with your grief. You're also dealing with your girl's grief. And part of the essence of that is all of a sudden the world doesn't feel as safe. And you were dealing with this a number of years ago. And now I think every one of us in the States is feeling that similar way. And so what did you find helpful? Was it just the act of of talking about it and facing the reality? What did you find was helpful for yourself, but also as a parent? Yeah. Gosh, Megan, you ask great questions because they're so (laughs) loaded and I love that. Okay. You know, I think, so first of all, when this happened with my husband, of what was most important, and this was a space that my husband came from, was this person had a mental illness. And and that's really sad. And that's what led to this. And so I think having an understanding a little bit of where that came from was really helpful. And my husband had that background. He was He was a dedicated patient for psychoanalysis for many years. And so that was language we used at home. We talked about our feelings at home. So having that kind of pre-established was really helpful. And most of us had already had therapists, which was really helpful. You also talk about being afraid in today's world and it is scary. And I don't want to walk around afraid. And this happened to me and my family. And I refuse to adjust my life or, and my daughters don't adjust their lives. And I don't want them to be scared. And it goes beyond personal safety. I want them to stand up for themselves. I want them to speak up. I want them to try new things. 
I want them to be comfortable in their own skin and I want them to own their story. And those are all things that apply to all of us, not just kids, but his passion of mine to raise confident young women and support women in the workplace as well in general. And so those are just really important skills to have that are hard. They're hard to, they're hard to, they're hard to find. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I find myself thinking about, it's not a situation you would have ever asked for, but what came out of it was amazing role modeling on your, that you were doing for your girls as you were working through it. Yeah. And I would like to say all that was planned. (laughs) (laughs) Some of it, it's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do this. And then you look back and you're like, oh, well, thank goodness I made that choice. Yes. Yes. There were so many times where I'm like, really, this is like the seventh thing to happen today. I'm like, okay, bring it on. Cause I am just, I'm just going to keep knocking them down. (laughs) You have to laugh at some point you have to find you have to find humor sometimes when life gets a little rough because otherwise you're just going to be life is really rough. So finding a little laughter and humor is good. Oh yeah. Humor is such a great coping skill. I found humor and animal videos really helpful. (laughs) Oh, I've heard that there's so many cute cat videos out there. So, you know, taking and looking at, you know, in general, when you think about where you are today, what habits or best practices do you think really helped contribute to your success? Yeah. Okay. So there's a few. So the number one most important thing, and I'm a little obsessed with this, Megan, is sleep. I am neurotic about my sleep because sleep affects everything that you do. Your mental capacity the next day, your your physical state, your health, your ability to have patience with your kids, like your excitement, I, everything. So at any rate, I am very cognizant about sleep and wake times at the same time. I have a wind down routine 30 minutes before I go to bed of, you know, phone is not by my bed at all. It is in a cabinet on do not disturb over there. I have no clocks in my room. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and go, okay, it's two o'clock. I've got four more hours to sleep. Oh, it's three o'clock. And so no clocks. If your phone's over there, can't look at the phone. Um, I, gosh, keep my room cool. I listen to a meditation before I go to bed, just a 10 minute audio meditation. And that is the very last thing I do. I'm all ready for bed. I put that in and then I know that's, I'm done and I go right to sleep. So sleep, super important. Journaling is another thing that I really picked up when my husband had passed away. I'd never done it. I didn't know how to do it. I was a type A person. So I'm like, well, I got to do it right. And how do you do that? And <laughs> I took a journaling class, <laughs> but I, and with this amazing, like writer journalist person. And so I really appreciate it. But every morning I journal for 10 minutes and just write what I'm thinking. And also I've incorporated, I say one thing that I'm really proud of that I did the day before. And I write three things that I'm grateful for. Because starting your day with gratitude in your heart and in your mind is really important. That could go on forever. But those are my top ones. 
they're wonderful. And I love those specific examples. The first one you were talking about, the term I've been hearing more and more because it is becoming a real crisis in this country. We're not getting enough sleep. And you have what sounds like excellent sleep etiquette is what they call it. And what a difference that makes, but also the journaling and taking that moment intentionally in the beginning of your day and centering with that gratitude, I imagine really does set the tone for your day. It does. And I heard this tip from somebody because sometimes we all struggle like, okay, yesterday I was thankful for my cat. Today I'm thankful for my cat, but actually like coming up with, okay, I I know I'm thankful for my cat, but what are new things to be thankful for? And it really, once you start to say, okay, wow, I've hit 50, you can be somewhat challenged and being challenged is good in that regard. Yes. I love that framing. Being challenged is good. And that's something we definitely lose track of. One other question I'd like to ask when you think about the leader that you are today, the leader that you became, because a lot of the listeners that we have on this podcast are either early leaders or they're at a pivot point right now. What advice would you like to give leaders who may be starting out or maybe dealing with some imposter syndrome, if you say? Sure. Okay. So first, I think it's important to understand like, where does imposter syndrome come from? And it can hit all of us. And then there's the, what do you do with it? And this pertains to everyone, but imposter syndrome can hit us a lot when we're questioning our abilities, when, and part of that is we're scared of getting criticized. Nobody likes to get criticized. We see it in social media. It happens all the time. And that makes us take a step back and play a little small sometimes. And that is not good. And things we can do with imposter syndrome. So what happens like when we're starting to question ourselves, there's that voice in your head of telling you, Jody, you're not good enough to do this. You're not smart enough to do that. Are you really going to say that? Somebody might say something. And so unhooking from that and being able to say, wait a minute, that's not real. And so somebody taught me, and this is a Marie Forleo thing, the pause principle, which basically says, when you've got these words in your head, take a breath and really reflect on, is that really? And then there's another person, Byron Katie, who has four questions that are awesome. I don't know if you know them, but pertaining to this whole imposter syndrome. One, you ask yourself, is that really true? So is it really true that I'm not smart enough? Well, probably not. Second, how do you know it's true? And third, what do you do when you, like, what what action do you take? Like, oh, I'm not smart enough. So therefore, I'm not going to raise my hand in this meeting because I don't feel, you know, capable or whatever it is. And then the fourth thing is, who would you be without that? So if I wasn't thinking you're not smart enough, wow, I might be running that meeting over there. So I think those, I love those four questions. And I don't know if you put them in the show notes or something, but Byron Katie, love her four questions. I love them too. I'm making a note right now. No, those were great. And there is such a power in reframing, right? And even Mm -hmm. the word you used as far as unhooking, you know, there are certain words that kind of allow us to detach a little bit, right? And follow some kind of a process. So yeah, I love those tips. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to end with a favorite quote or motto that you have, and maybe those shifts over time, depending on what phase you're in, but I'd love to know 
what you have found inspirational in the past. Yeah. And I love this question because I go back to my mother and she always told me I can do anything I set my mind to. And I firmly believe that. I believed that then, which allowed me to do a lot of things that I wouldn't have done. And today I instill that in my kids. I, if you have the right mindset, it's all about mindset, right? If you have the right mindset that you can run a company, that you can get promoted, that you can stand up in front of that group and do a TED talk, you can do it. And, and James Clear is actually says something about that. You set a goal and you already act like you're that person. So it's the same principle of you set your mind to something, you can do it. You act, you act like that person, even though you're not there yet, you're functioning that way. And I love that. Oh, I do too. That's excellent. Excellent. Jody. I could talk to you all day. I would love to pick your brain <laughs> for 24 hours, but I do need to let you go. But I want to thank you so much for such an open and insightful conversation on how It is possible to navigate through sudden, in your particular case, tragic change. You know, your story of ultimate and, as you say, hard won at times success is truly inspiring. I imagine sometimes Mm. it may not feel that way to you, but it really is an inspiring story. And it's clear what a difference you've already made to so many. And I think your willingness to share what you've learned to help others, it's a wonderful example of mentoring mentality. Thank you. I And I've loved my experience with Mentium. My last mentee, I loved her. She was amazing. <laughs> and she's just changed and grown so much. And yeah, and I can't wait to have another one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love hearing that. I also want to thank all of our listeners who are joining this Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you're interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. So we look forward to having you join us for our next episode.